Good morning. We are in the second week of our Sunday lunch series, and this is a series based around the New Testament church about creating connection and, and building relationships with intentionality. And it's called Sunday Lunch because of the challenge to go to lunch with someone that you may not know that well. And so how many of you jumped right in and last Sunday you went to lunch with someone that you didn't know that well? And how many of you ran for the parking lot as soon as you could? <laughs> so the, the, the goal really is to provide an opportunity for relationships within the church to, to become greater, more unified, and more Christ-honoring. And it's, it's easier to gather when we each love one another, and it's easier to love one another when we at least know each other's names and a little bit of our stories. And if and going up to somebody in the lobby is absolutely paralyzing uh, to you, uh, there are a few other ways. Uh, but I do hope that you would be praying about this and maybe looking around uh, the congregation over the next couple of weeks, because this challenge isn't going to go away. Uh, <laughs> we, we really do want uh, our church to, to know each other. Now, um, if you can't make your schedule fit lunch uh, on Sunday, or maybe walking up to someone, uh, like I said, is, is a little paralyzing, I hope you might find the courage to do that. Uh, but another way, maybe a more casual way to attend one of the, uh, one of the 14 different hangouts that we have uh, there's casual uh, gatherings that, uh, that are happening each and every week, and you could go, learn somebody's name, and by the end of this series, maybe that's the person or the couple or the family that you say, hey, let's do lunch. Uh, so we just really want to make that a priority. Now, last week, Derek spoke about the one factor that unites us among all of our differences, and of course, that's Jesus. Last week, we learned that we gather because of Jesus, and Jesus is what brings us together from various backgrounds, and it's his spirit that unites us and makes us forever family. And so we should live this way as a loving, Christ-centered family. But what does that look like, really, within a, a congregation of over 500 people? How can we be that Christ-centered community? You're not going to know everybody. And that's really not the point, but nearly all of us need someone else in the community. Some of you could use a wiser disciple to speak into your life right now. Some of you could use a friend, a father figure, a sister or brother, a grandparent figure. And oftentimes God blesses us with a person we didn't even know we needed until we met them or had that one conversation. And in order to create and nurture a Christ-centered community, we have to put Christ at the center. And in order to put Christ at the center, we have to be willing to get out of the way by giving up our desires and putting others first. And that's where we're going to start today. So looking at Christ's example of humility and dying, him, uh, dying to himself for the sake of others. And we're going to take a look at John 13. So you can go ahead and turn to John 13, and that is... Uh, the account of the uh, Passover meal, the Last Supper. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, and during our Maundy Thursday service, we read through the Passover meal experience, and we're going to take another look uh, at this same passage, but this time we're going to focus on the example Christ set as he washed his disciples' feet and really think about what this means for us as the church. I wanted to make a joke about 
washing people's feet and watch the introverts like run for the door, but we're not gonna have a uh, foot washing ceremony. That's okay. It's okay. Keep your shoes and socks on. All right, so John 13, one through 17, let's read. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and went to the corner, bent down into a fetal position, ugly cried because of what he was about to go through. He did not do that. Like, what version are you reading? <laughs> that's what I would have done. And I think that's what most of us would have done. The weight of the world on his shoulders. A man who practically lived with him for three years is about to betray him and lead him to be mocked, beaten, and crucified. And Jesus prepares to wash their feet. So he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, washing feet, it was a servant's job. They would have walked just about everywhere they would traveled. They wore sandals on dirt roads. Who knows what is out on the roads? Their feet are gross, stinky, sweaty. And they sat or lounged at the floor, uh, on the floor while dining in close proximity with each other, and they wanted their floors to be clean, and so washing the feet before entering a house was rather important. But again, this was typically done by a very humble person. So this is why Peter took exception. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what am I, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but after you will understand. And Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. I, I think it's worth pointing out again that Jesus washed the feet of Judas, knowing full well who he was and what he was about to do. When scripture tells us that Jesus died for all, it really means all. Even the worst of all sinners can choose to accept this offered grace. Why do you suppose Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing for you now, but you will? Is this about washing feet or something more? Verse 12, we continue. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... And you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do as I have done for you. Why don't we have weekly washing, foot washing ceremonies? We take communion together weekly, and the command to do so, and the example set forth, is from the same passage, the Last Supper. Why don't, we have, why don't we read about the Jewish Christians adding foot washing to the agenda of the Passover meal? I think this is more than foot washing, but rather what this action represents, because he's giving them a picture of the cross once again. You don't understand what I am doing at the moment, but soon you will. You'll see the connection. Jesus is showing them the cross before it takes place, and he came to take the servant's position. So says all of scripture. 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, Isaiah 53 was written. It was a well-known Old Testament passage appropriately titled The Suffering Servant. Take a look through Isaiah 53 and then read the, the gospels, particularly the end, and you will see the parallels, and it's astounding. John the Baptist, at the, uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when asked if he was upset that Jesus was becoming more popular than he, John said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and be uh, the sacrifice. I'm sorry. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and be the sacrifice for many. That was Jesus' response. But John the Baptist said, I must become less so that he can become more. Jesus' sacrificial death is woven throughout the entirety of scriptures and on his final night on earth, he's yet again giving another example of extreme humility for the sake of others by taking the posture, not of a king sitting on a throne, but of a foot-washing servant on the floor with a wash basin. Jesus appropriately pointed out that he is the teacher and Lord, and yet he is taking the place of a lowly servant. He made it very clear that we are to do as he has done. And I don't believe that this means that we are literally to wash each other's feet. The type of service given seems unimportant. But the heart and the meaning behind it, that's what matters. And Jesus is calling disciples to be like him in all things, even in death. And just as Jesus gave up every, everything to come to earth to be the example and perfect sacrifice the world needed, we are being called to give up everything so that the will of the Father can be accomplished through our lives that are lived through the Spirit of Jesus. Now this teaching, this, this humbling yourself or dying to yourself to the point of death, this is not new for the disciples because earlier in Jesus' ministry, in Matthew 16, let's take a look at what Jesus says here. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." Ouch. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We need to clarify what Jesus is saying when he says, take up your cross. I've heard interpretations that this is referring to carrying a heavy burden. Now, of course, the cross literally was a heavy burden that the uh, criminal condemned criminal literally had to carry on his shoulders to the location of his crucifixion. But what the cross represents is the point of this teaching. The disciples of this time were very, very familiar with the Roman execution by crucifixion on the cross. The cross equals death. And so rather than saying the popular phrase, we all have our cross to bear, We should instead interpret Jesus' teaching here as you must pick up your cross, therefore daily die to yourself, denying your desires, and be open to what your heavenly Father desires of you. And from his feet-washing example, he adds, just as I have done for you, you should do for others. When we, as Christians, are called to take up our cross daily, it is for the process of considering ourselves dead to self-rule and walking, in, and walking in obedience to Jesus. We, we make a decision for Jesus once for uh, salvation, but after the once and for all decision, we are to pick up our cross daily and follow him, daily suffering or daily surrendering ourselves to Jesus, putting him at the center, the core, and the heart of all our decisions day by day, because that is evidence of true saving faith. Being a follower of Jesus means we daily give up our desires to follow his. It's like being a parent. Parents daily give up their desires in order to love and serve a child, especially especially babies, because they have so many needs. Think of all the sleepless nights, the crying, the diaper changes, the rocking, the bouncing, meeting all demands a baby has, all for what? A look. Your baby looks into your eyes and maybe gives you a slight smile that's usually just gas, but you think it's directly related to you and it goes right into your soul and you have that connection and you immediately say, I will die for you. Whatever you want, I will give to you. Why? Because of love because that's your child. Shouldn't our love for Christ also be that strong and effective in making us willingly serve others sacrificially in the same way? Jesus plainly states, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That is a heavy truth. This is serious teaching here that cannot be watered down And we cannot get away from the truth and seriousness of Jesus' words. If we aren't willing to humble ourselves and and deny ourselves the selfish desires of this world and instead love others as Christ did, Jesus tells us we cannot be his disciples. Now let's think back to our first passage where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, where he stated that he is Lord and yet he humbled himself to serve them in this way. We're to do this for each other, not because we're checking a box, but because we are willing to put others before our desires, because Christ's loving example of humility and sacrifice, from washing feet to literal death, we too are to be willing to do the same. 
Because of Christ's loving example, we are to serve each other out of the pure love that we have for Christ Jesus. Because we have accepted the gracious gift of forgiveness of our sin and we have been given the promise of eternal life, we ought to wake up every morning with thankful hearts, making a clear decision to freely give up our own desires for the day and pair our minds with what God wants us from us, in turn, assuring that we are continuing to live the new life that, that he has given us. And it is in this humble and self-sacrificing posture that we can truly be a Christ-centered family. Our BCC big idea for this week, serving like Christ requires dying to self like Christ. We are to be Christ-like in all things. This isn't simply being a good humanitarian, being a Christian do-gooder, and it's not even about what you theoretically might do in the worst case scenario, like I'd die for this person if it came down to it. Jesus wants us to love others like he loved them in our day to day. What would the church look like if we lived this out? Loving each other so much that we serve each other in true humility, choosing to put to death our own desires and preferences for the sake of others, helping one another with all things. Remember Peter's response to Jesus wanting to wash his feet? You are going to wash my feet? Why? What if we served each other to the point of the person being served pauses and thinks, why would that person do this for me? The conclusion they would come to, the only conclusion, is Jesus. Think about what they would do for the kingdom of God here on earth if we served each other or the, uh, others in this way. For the Christian, being served in that way, I would hope would give so much encouragement to also pick up their cross and do that for someone else. And for the non-Christian, I, I, it would increase the opportunity for that person to see the love of Christ firsthand. We tend to think that acts of selfishness always have to, uh, selflessness always have to be less, uh, these, like, these grand gestures. And those do happen, but typically grand gestures don't make up your daily routine. At least they don't in, in my household. Washing feet doesn't really hold a candle to dying on a cross. Jesus loved in more, loved in more small ways than he did in big ways. It's the, the idea of tossing a small stone in, into a pond. That ripple effect far outweighs the size of the actual stone. Think of um, time traveling in, on TV or in movies. Why is that when people travel back in time, they worry about every little action and its potential massive effect on the future, and yet in the here and now, we struggle to believe that small actions make a difference. It's very interesting. Daily acts, no matter how seemingly insignificant, are used by God to make eternal impacts on those around you. Last week, Derek uh, read through the examples of Acts 2, the church in Acts 2, and how they, they served one another, and how they loved one another, and how there was, they were selling their possessions to make sure that there was no need uh, amongst the congregation. He talked about the India church growth, uh, planting 3,500 churches. 
He talked about the African church not leaving their Sunday gathering until they worked out the problems. And I remember the audible response that the congregation that we all gave when Derek talked about these things. We felt joy. There was an, uh, an audible disbelief almost to how amazing is it that churches in the 21st century could actually live like the churches in the first century book of Acts. But at the same time, there was an audible uh, acknowledgement and concern for the American church for not doing these things. Do you remember this? We know the truth. We know what needs to be done. We just have to get ourselves out of the way and be obedient to these truths. It starts here with us, but we have to be willing to deny ourselves in the same way Christ did. Let's take a look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is a fantastic passage that really brings out the humility that Christ uh, really showed. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 12. Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, vain, or, or conceit, but in humility count others more, more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the, same, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." Jesus literally couldn't have humbled himself any more than he did. He went from literal peak perfection, God Almighty, to taking the sins of the world upon him. Just as he perfected everything else, he perfected humility. Because Jesus was humble in this way, we can be humble in this life. Because Jesus denied himself to the point of death, we can too. Right, preacher said, carry your cross, deny yourself, be like Jesus. It's just that simple. It's, it's not simple. It's a simple concept. But I know it's not easy. But it's okay. Remember what Jesus said. It's better for him to leave 
so we can get his spirit. And he promised in Matthew 28, some of the last words he said to his disciples, that he will always be with us in this way. And remember Paul's words in verse 13 that we just read, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not about us. So it's time we get out of the way. Little by little, we die to ourselves. It starts by doing the dishes. It starts with a meal, an invitation, a kind word, an activity that the other person enjoys, a bold step into faith when you feel God leading you to make a decision. It's all about making the decision to continue to follow Jesus' example he laid out for us. In my home church, I grew up with a preacher that would always close his sermons with, it's decision time. And it is. Wash people's feet. Husbands, let me talk to you for a second. Let's get specific. Ephesians 5 tells tells us that we are supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. What does that mean? What's this telling us we ought to be doing? This is generally understood as husbands uh, should be willing to give up their lives in order to protect their family, and yes, we should. And I haven't met a man yet that wouldn't, if it came down to it, give up his life for his wife and kids. But remember, dying to yourself isn't defined by the grand gestures alone, but a daily decision to let Christ change your heart. How are you, a husband, going to deny yourself this afternoon and love your wife as Christ loved the church? Ask your wife. I bet she has a list for you. (laughs) But seriously, husbands, we, we can make light of this, but but we know it's true. Be the leader of your household by taking on Christ's leadership style, servant leadership. Set the example by loving your family so much that your desires don't matter because what truly matters is what God desires for your family. Show them that you are willing to follow Jesus in all things and they'll follow you. Think of the impact on your household and beyond. Think of the community impact throughout our schools, friendships, neighbors. If all Christian husbands loved in this way that Christ loved the church. Now let's not just pick on the husbands because all Christ followers are called to die to our own desires to, and to love and serve others. Start with those within your circle of influence. How can you wake up every morning and make the commitment to set aside your desires for the day and put others first? It has to begin with seeking the love of God through scripture, through prayer, through talking to other Christ followers about all of this and and asking for the support from your Christ-centered community. It's through all of that 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 we will be able to collectively live as Christ and be able to impact the world as he did. Jesus said that we would be able to 
do more than what he did on earth. Alone, we can't. But together, through the multiplication process that he laid out, we can. But we have to get out of the way. Serving like Christ requires dying to self like Christ. Now go and wash people's feet. Father, we sit in awe at the example that you set for us. Why would you leave your throne and die? Your love is perfect, and we thank you. And we see the, 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 the truth and the challenge that you, you offer your church, the mission that you have given us. And God, it is terrifying. And there are many times in my day that I don't want to do it. But Father, I ask, just as you humbled yourself, help all of us to follow in your footsteps, die to ourselves so that we can serve just as you told us to serve. Not for the sake of any action, but solely so that you would be glorified and that more souls would know who you are and call you Father. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.